the term millennial gets a bad rap these days. Millennials are thought to be entitled, lazy, self-serving, wasteful. But here's the thing. Let's be honest. Those types of people exist in every generation ever. That is not a new trait that's unique to the millennial generation. In fact, the more I learn from and speak with people in the millennial generation, the more I'm finding the opposite to be the case. Millennials care about their impact. Millennials want to buck the status quo and rally for change and improve their communities and be active and involved in the process. They are doers. They're the next generation, and it's time that we start partnering with them to make stuff happen. But interestingly enough, some of our culture's most iconic brands and companies have zero clue how to interact with or market to millennials. When it comes to millennials, they are out of touch. Well, my guest today saw an opportunity to fix that. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an all-around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Alexandra Dowis, the founder of Purpose Generation, a millennial strategy and insights company that helps large, iconic brands better understand and engage the next generation of consumers and talent. This is one of the most unique businesses I've ever had on the show, and I love, love, loved everything about this conversation. Now, I wanted to let you know that there's something we talk about in the show that Alexandra is launching this month in August, and we have a unique coupon code and opportunity for you to participate in it. So be sure to listen all the way to the end of the show where I give you all of the details and your exclusive coupon code. Without further ado, on to my conversation with Alexandra. Hello, Alexandra. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. I am pumped to have you on the show. And I, when I first learned about Purpose Generation, I was like, well, I mean, that's, I don't even really know what they do, but I'm pretty sure I need to have them on the show because they have the word purpose in the title. Uh, this is just <laughs> full disclosure. But then when I really learned about um, everything that you are doing and everything that Purpose Generation does, I knew that we would be instant friends. And then before we started recording, we both talked about how we love avocado toast. And so who doesn't clearly, <laughs> clearly we need to be BFFs. So um, we're just going to kick it right. We're going to get right to it. And I'm going to have you kick it off by doing what all my guests do. And that's give us the Alexandra 101. So tell us your story and all about how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, for my story, we've got to go over an ocean um, I was actually born in London, UK, uh, with my two siblings to two parents who were both originally Dutch. And so at age six, we moved back to Amsterdam when my dad took over the family business, which is an art gallery. Um, so I grew up in the Netherlands, which was wonderful. Um, I really cannot complain. I had an amazing childhood, lots of freedom to go as I please, to develop um, amazing friendships. And then I think around the age of 10 or 11, we did a family trip to the United States. Uh, my mother actually studied at Boston College there. Um, and I fell in love with just the whole idea of campus life, which was very different from what college looked like in the Netherlands or in Europe, really, in general. Yeah. And so from that point onward, it somehow became my mission to study in the United States. Um, and fast forward a few years. I ended up uh, doing exactly that. So at 18, I packed my bags, moved to Princeton, New Jersey, um, and went to college there, which, again, was an incredibly um, formative experience. I didn't know a single soul, um, except for, funnily enough, I had sent a few emails with this one girl um, called Nellie, <laughs> who was a family friend of our old neighbors in London. So when they heard I was going to Princeton, they said, you absolutely have to meet this girl. So we had sent a few emails before arriving on campus. And of course, once we did, we became very fast friends. And she has actually now become the co-founder of Purpose Generation, which awesome. is very cool. Um, but we didn't really think about that happening. We took a course together in social impact um, our junior year. And we're asked to start a business. And both of us had a huge passion, I think, for um, using capitalism for good um, and this idea of mission-driven, purpose-driven companies. 
And so that business that we started, a fictional business, um, it went so well that we decided, you know, one day we want to do this together for real. But we thought that day would be many, many decades away. And so after college, I went to New York to work for a large management consulting firm. I kind of followed the the traditional track of what was expected um, of, you know, an Ivy League graduate. And Nellie moved to South Africa, where she worked on the first um, social or impact investing stock exchange. And she came back after a few years and we connected again and started talking about this growing gap that we were seeing between our generation and these large iconic institutions and brands um, that had you know, w- ruled the world and the economy for so long. We started seeing our friends leave their big corporate fancy jobs to work for startups because they felt a greater sense of ownership and a purpose. We saw our friends going to purchase products um, from more local companies that had a story to tell. Um, you name it. We started our friends. I started seeing our friends invest in more values-driven products and stocks, and we thought to ourselves, you know, what a shame because these large, iconic brands have so much power and so many resources to actually make an impact, but they just don't understand how to cater to our generation and our peers. Yeah, and that's kind of where a light bulb went off, and we looked around and we saw that no one else of our, you know of our age really were helping these brands navigate that new world. Um, and so that's what we did. We created, started with creating a curriculum called the millennial mindset. And at the time the word millennial was not used at all. So we had to really explain what that meant and who we are. Of course, now it's on every newspaper and people are long gone on to the new Gen Z, which is far more exciting. Yeah. Um, but we created this curriculum, um, and kind of walked people through, you know, the influences that have shaped our mindset, the way that we like to communicate, the trends that we're drawn to. Um, and we almost act, saw ourselves as acting as a tour guide for these big brands. Um, and so we started in financial services. They shut us down very quickly. They said, listen, these folks don't have any money yet, so we're not interested. So we moved on and we ended up, our first client was actually in the CPG world. We worked with Campbell Soup Company and are still working with them today. And a few years later, funnily enough, all those same financial brands came back knocking on our door (laughs) in in desperate need of help because they were losing all their clients when the money transferred to that next generation. Mm. But in the midst of, of all of this, we were a lot of our work has to do with insight. So the thing that we often, you know, tell our clients is you can't assume you know what this generation wants or that they want the same thing as their parents. You need to sit down with them and have an honest, authentic conversation and and ask them, you know, ask them what they want, ask them what they're looking for, ask them what resonates with them. Um, And so that's a lot of what we do is is having those insights conversations. And the cool thing is that instead of kind of more of a, a sterile market research environment, we really sit down with them as peers. So we're able to dive a little bit deeper, I think, and get some more actionable insights than maybe some of those other folks out there doing this work. Um, but through that process, what kept coming up again and again for Purpose Generation was this idea of our peers being in search for more meaning. And instead of you know working really hard, putting their head down, making their money, and then at age 50 or 60, you know, pulling their head up and saying, hmm, okay, what do I want to do now? How do I want to give back? How do I want to contribute? Our peers seem to be doing that at age, you know, 24. Um, and are, we're looking for a way to better align their work with their, their values. Um, and as we started kind of developing more and more content for some of those, those brands, one of the things that we created was a workshop called Find Your Purpose. And it was more of an experiment, to be honest. We created it at one point for one of our financial services clients who was hosting events for the next gen. And as we thought about, you know, what would we have wanted at 24, 25? And what came up was this idea of we would have wanted a very clear process to help us identify what lights us up in life so that we can make more informed decisions about what we want to do and how we want to fill that in. And so we created this workshop, Find Your Purpose. Um, and over the past two years, I've been doing it intermittently um, with groups of friends, for clients. 
And earlier this year, Nellie and I finally decided to turn that into an online course and kind of a sister brand to Purpose Generation. Um, And we've called it Purpose Playbook. And so the idea is that it is really a collection of resources, content, inspiration to help our peers um, live on purpose. So now we have Purpose Generation, which helps brands um, better understand our generation so that they can create more purpose-oriented, purpose-driven products and services and communication, really. And then we have Purpose Playbook, which is kind of our uh, you know, pet project or passion project that we do on the side, um, which is for our peers kind of helping use some of the more structured frameworks to helping them find purpose. Because when we looked around, we found that most stuff out there was a little, as I like to say, woo-woo. And I'm a very woo-woo person, so there's <laughs> nothing negative about that. But I think for a lot of our friends, um, that was a bit of a barrier for them to start asking the questions that they kind of deeply, I think, wanted to, but didn't really know where to start. I love so that. So that's, that's me on the professional side. On the personal side, I actually met my husband-to-be at Princeton, and we're getting married in about a month. So that's Ooh, very exciting. Congratulations. And I, <laughs> thank you. And I spend my time kind of in between San Francisco, where our main office is, and Santa Barbara, where I live with him. That is so awesome. And you are really, girl, you're speaking my language. There's so much about <laughs> this that is speaking my language. Um, so I want to talk a little bit of the nitty gritty first before I kind of get into the woo woo, because I also love to talk the woo woo, um, even though sometimes people are like, wait, uh, we'll get into it. <laughs> so um, so I want to talk about the nitty gritty of purpose generation, because I think this is this is a, a topic that I, I love to talk about, um, and I find not on purpose, no pun intended, um, I'm talking about more and more on on this podcast because a lot of my guests are, and again, not on purpose, um, a lot of my guests are millennials or they are trying to reach the millennial generation, and we have this conversation regularly about how we are going to see a huge shift in the next five to 10 years of brands realizing that they have got to make some changes if they want to stay relevant, Um, both in how they're organized and both in how they do business. Because the millennial generation and the younger generations, they they care. They give a crap, so to speak. Um, and and they want to know that their products that they're buying are being made ethically. They want to know that that the sweat sh- that there are, you know, that these brands are not using sweatshops to produce their their clothing or their goods. They want to know that their you know that their food is grown um, you know sustainably. Um, they want to know that local farmers are being empowered and supported. They want to know that um, you know that women in in these companies and corporations are giving are being given a fair shot and an opportunity. You know all these types of things are important. You know they're they're moving away from you know GMOs and they're moving away from you know big big corporations, big money, and they want to support the little guy and they want to support companies that are that are doing good in the world and using their business and, and like you said, using capitalism for good. Um, and, and this is such a shift. And so I love that you, you saw this and you wanted to, to figure out a way to kind of bridge that gap between your generation, our generation, and these larger companies. So how did you, how did you actually do this in the beginning? You, you said you just kind of reached out to these companies. Who were you reaching out to at these companies? Were you just sort of emailing a front desk person or were you, you know, I'm just, I'm curious we, what that looked no, like in the early really days. Good question. It's a really good question. And we often ask ourselves, how the heck did we get to where we are today five years later? But we actually started at the very top. So we cold emailed CEOs, essentially. Wow. And what we found was that the CEO was actually much more attuned to this shift in many cases or the members of the executive team. And we typically tried to reach out in the midst of kind of a major pain point for that particular organization Mm. or brand. Can you give me an example? And so we use that a little bit. So for example, another great time to reach out is during transition. Mm. So our very first client, as we just mentioned, Campbell Soup Company, um, 
my co-founder, Nellie, actually had the opportunity to sit down with the CEO who thought she was mentoring Nellie. And she was a new CEO. She's one of, I think, now somewhere in the mid-20s uh, female CEOs in the, of the Fortune 500. Um, but at the time, it was even less. And she was newly appointed. She took this opportunity to sit down with Nellie, was recommended by a friend, um, and thought she was going to mentor Nellie. And instead, Nellie hit her with our pitch, hmm. um, which was, listen, Campbell's Soup Company is you know, known to us as our grandparents' soup company. We all remember maybe sitting around the table at our grandparents' place on a Sunday and having a cup of soup. But we would never go into the grocery store and purchase that product ourselves. Right. Um, so if you want to remain relevant, like you said, um, you're going to have to better understand what we need and start making that shift really quickly because this industry is becoming increasingly more crowded as the barriers to entry are becoming lower and more and more food startups who are transparent about their ingredients and their sourcing habits are bubbling up. Mm. And she at the time had actually recognized that, you know, their primary consumer is um, a 45 to 65 year old woman. Mm. And so she was thinking, okay, well, what does that look like in 10, 20 years? Well, those are the current 24 or 25 to 45 year old women. And we have no idea what they want. Um, and so we pitched them in that case specifically on building out a community, which has now become Camp Campbell, as we call it, of millennial women who either had a passion for food um, were either food entrepreneurs, food bloggers, but at the forefront of the change that was going on. Um, and it's a, a now I think we have 14 city chapters across the country and they almost acted like an outsourced advisory board for the CEO. So again, our theme here constantly is find ways, effective ways to tap into our generation and listen and have them tell you what you want. And we kind of act as the facilitator for that. Mm. Um, so we built out this community. And over the past five years, the CEO and her executive team have been coming together with these women in the various chapters. We facilitate really intimate dinners, events, we do product sampling. And the amazing thing is they've been so honest and candid about what they look for how they judge, you know, the fact that five years ago, they probably would have never bought a can of Campbell's soup. But now over the past five years, Campbell has acquired various um, amazing, more small niche, sustainable organic companies like Plum Organics, who makes baby food, um, Pacific Foods, which makes all the almond milks that you see out there, yeah. um, Bolt House Farms. And not only have they done that, they've actually developed a company purpose and a new company set of values. And this group of women were able to see that entire evolution from up close because the CEO would be very vulnerable and share with them, these are the challenges, this is what I'm doing, what do you think? Yeah. Um, and that process, I think, has now um, really informed where Campbell is today. And we're incredibly proud to see the um, impact that that has made. But that was because of a kind of cold conversation that happened um, over coffee five years ago. Um, so that's that's one example. Um, but most of it, honestly, has either been word of mouth once we had our first few clients or cold emails to the CEO. AARP is another example where we cold emailed the CEO about an amazing video that we saw that was about kind of cross-generational connection. And she forwarded it on. And now we've been working with them for two years. That is absolutely incredible. I love that you just went so bold to just be like, yeah, I'm going to just find the CEO's email and which I can imagine was maybe challenging. <laughs> we got a few, we, we did it wrong a few times. We got a few bounce backs, but eventually we were able to stock them enough to get the right email. That is awesome. Yeah. That takes some hard work. Cause I know that sometimes like in my own business, if there's somebody that I just want to go big or go home and I reach out to, you know, somebody high up and I'm like, just scouring the internet for you know for their know. for their email address but i there's I, so many possible combinations these days too oh yeah and you have to kind of figure out like what is the email like uh system for that company mm -hmm. so you're like okay is it at campbell.com and then you, is it like first initial last name just first name first name dot last name yeah you have to figure out all the different combinations and sometimes the ceo has a completely different combination from everybody else yeah 
it can be challenging. Um, and just a fun little interesting fact. I love that you mentioned that, you know, obviously she's a she was a new female CEO. Um, my husband and I were having this conversation the other day that a very interesting fact, because my husband's name is John, you know, like the most common name in the entire world. And <laughs> there's there's a, a fact that there are more CEOs of finance, for, Fortune 500 companies named John than there are women. <laughs> no yeah. way. Yeah, that is crazy crazy. That's more, a really good stat. I'm going to remember that. More CEOs trying, named John than there are women. Yeah. When you're trying to convey to people how shocking the statistic actually is, yeah, it's really hard to do that with yeah. just the numbers. So I love that. I'm going to definitely remember that and use that. Yeah. there's <laughs> And there's like a bunch of different statistics like that as for, with regards to women. Like there are more Republican, like congressmen, I think both House and Senate named John than there are women Republicans in the House and Senate, like just things oh, like your poor husband. His name is just being I know by women. I know. Oh. So he's just like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, so and like because his dad's name is John and then uh, his dad, you know, his grandfather's name was John. And so when we had our son, you know, everybody was like, are you going to name him John? And he was like, nope, <laughs> nope. Because you remember nope. like because he said like in elementary school, because, you know, my husband, I He's a looker. Everybody thinks he's, you know, he's so handsome. And all the girls Lucky in elementary you. school had had crushes on him. And uh, and so he said that, you know, like girls would call the house and be like, can we talk to John? And then his mom would like hand the phone to his dad. And then, of course, it'd be a little girl, you know, being like, so-and-so has a crush on you. And then he's like, I think you want to speak with my son. Like, <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. that is amazing. That hilarious? Yep, that's yeah. the risk you run. My, my brother and father also share the same name, as yeah. do, I think, five <laughs> generations prior yeah. to them. So you started this, you reached out, you, you started working with some of these big corporations. What were you finding? What were some of those like challenges and pushbacks that some of these corporations were giving you? I'm just really curious, you know, because obviously I know this cannot have been an easy road and you've had a lot of bumps along the way. So what have been some of the bigger challenges that maybe you didn't think that you would face or some of the bigger pushbacks that companies would give you to try to tell you that you didn't know what you were talking about when you did know what you were talking about? You know what I mean? Yep. That's a really good question. And I think obviously it, it varies company to company. Um, but what we've found is that the most important thing is having a champion internally that is as high up the food chain as possible, because there are going to be a lot of naysayers. I mean, we were two at the time when we started this, we were, you know, our early 20s. And there are two girls, 23, walking into the room, um, in some cases into boardrooms and telling them, how they should be, you know, doing things better. And, you know, you do somewhat offend some of the other folks in the room who have been working really, really hard and don't necessarily want to see that this shift is taking place. Mm -hmm. um, and so that I think was, was difficult is navigating those internal politics and figuring out who to really win over and how to do that. I mean, again, I think something that you learn with experience is just those, those social skills of how to respond to each different type of person. And so that was a really steep learning curve for us. Um, but it was really good lesson to learn early on because now you can put us in a room of people and you know, tensions can be flying high, but we are pretty adept at kind of adjusting and giving the different people in the room what they want and, and having them hear what they want to hear in order to get, make our point. Um, so I think that was a huge learning curve and a challenge early on is navigating those situations. Um, the other piece is, you know, these are huge organizations in many cases. Yeah. Um, so I think for us, we went in guns blazing with so many ideas. Um, and in the startup world, you can have an idea on Monday and by Friday it can be in market and you can be getting feedback. Um, but in these big organizations, you have to, I mean, first you have to get everyone on board at the top. So much Then you tape. have to get legal and compliance to sign off, oh, which yeah. in, in one case for a bank, we started a project, um, I think in December, 2014, and it was a content project. Um, and it did not go into market until spring, 2016. Oh my goodness. So, and that was mostly compliance driven. So then you have to get compliance and then you have to win over all of the middle managers who are actually going to have to help you execute on this. 
who are definitely looking at us as, you know, who are these outside consultants who are coming in and, you know, trying to just change the way we're used to working and the status quo, everything's been going fine thus far, why shake it up? Um, so I think just the, the timing and patience um, that it took also was, was something, was a challenge um, in the beginning for sure. I know you are loving this chat with Alexandra, and I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show, who's able to help make it possible, and that's my people, CauseBox. As you know, CauseBox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes. I have been a subscriber for over two and a half years. How it works is each season, a new box is released filled with everything from accessories, home goods, and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they are doing the most good. The products are not just beautiful, they are also useful. The fall box is going to be coming out really soon. And if it's anything like the previous seasonal boxes, I know it's going to be amazing. Now, the summer box sold out in record time. And then they even sold out of the special edition box. So I know the fall box is going to sell out fast. So be sure to head on over to stillbeingmolly.com slash causebox and use the coupon code MOLLY for $15 off and reserve that fall box. Now, back to my conversation with Alexandra especially in a lot of those corporations, the big, big, big ones, you have these CEOs or these, you know, kind of folks that are sort of in the upper echelon, so to speak, and they have been doing the same thing the same way for 30, 40 years, and they are super resistant to change. And, you know, you see companies like, like, let's look at Babies R Us and Toys R Us, for example, these companies that just refused to adapt to the changing marketplace, to the changing landscape of parents um, and kids of today. And look what happened. They filed for bankruptcy. And so, you know, and then and yet they're trying to blame it on this generation instead of just saying like, hey, maybe we should have made some changes in the way we do things, Um, you know, especially when it comes to you know, I mean, I'm a parent. I have two young kids and, you know, I I am not taking my kids to Toys R Us. No, not a chance. Yeah. Like, not- and that's another thing we saw is there's a lot there. All those stereotypes about our generation. It runs deep. So we had so many conversations where we would, you know, be told, well, all of you are entitled. All of you are lazy. You know, we don't so, want to respond yes. to that. And We had to, again, put our kind of education hats on and share, no, sometimes behavior that you see as entitled is simply because we don't know any better. We were raised um, also amidst this financial crisis. We had to hustle. We had to put our heads down um, and work really, really hard. So we're definitely not lazy, but the world is the world that we grew up in is simply a different place than you did. Um, and we had to educate them on that. And I think a lot of people also say, well, you know, we also care about making an impact, um, and contributing. Why are you the only generation that's being heralded as being values driven? And our response to that is it isn't that we are better people. It's that we have access to certain tools. If you think of smartphones and social media that allow us to, you know, start having an impact on a much greater scale just by making small micro donations or micro acts of activism. There's just so much more potential. And that has allowed us um, to align our values with our work and our purchasing decisions much earlier on than maybe previous generations. Um, so it's just trying to shift that perspective and educate them on where some of these behaviors are coming from and maybe also pushing them to reconsider how they're uh, interpreting these behaviors sometimes too. Absolutely. And, you know, like I was kind of going back to my earlier point of just like, you know, the younger generations, they care. They really do care. And they're going to begin to hold these these companies and these organizations accountable and if if they're not changing and you know you're going to start to see a shift in in how they consume and i mean look at you know for example like target versus walmart you know walmart still has very much a negative um, connotation associated with it you know and just cheap uh you know goods made you know in sweatshops and you know they they don't take care of their employees and all these kinds of things like the those those connotations are associated with Walmart, and then on the flip side, you see Target, who now has an entire um, 
corporate social responsibility section of their website and they're beginning to carry like local brands. Like you can go down to my local Target and you see, you know, full steam brewery beer in the aisles, which is like a Durham based brewery. And then you see like these tiny little companies in their natural beauty section and you see um, them starting to carry more and more American made brands. And you start to see that they're, you know, they're like their cat and jack line is made with like 40% recycled materials and how just more and more Target is is standing up and saying like, hey, as a big corporation, we're going to do what we can to make sure that we are producing sustainably, producing ethically. You know, they're not perfect by any sense of the imagination, but where where are millennials more likely to shop, Target or Walmart? Yeah. And I think that what you just said is they're not perfect but they're being transparent and they're working on it. And I think that's another big difference that we had to um, educate some of our clients on and that prior generations, they did expect a product to be perfect when it hit market. Mm -hmm. But we grew up in this world of startups where we're used to beta testing. We're used to being part of the creation process. And if the, you know, version 1.0 isn't, that great. We're going to be giving you feedback on it, but look forward to version 2.0 and you won't have lost us as a client because we just want to see you evolving and we want to be invited into the process. Another great example of a company I think that's been doing an amazing job is CVS, which I would have never thought five plus years ago, but the leading role they played in the whole tobacco debacle. And then recently, I think a few weeks ago, they announced that they're going to be completely abolishing any airbrushed pictures from any advertising shown in store. I mean, those are the types of moves that I think show us as a generation um, that they're willing to really put their money where their mouth is. They don't just have corporate values, um, you know, that they slap on a website, but they actually make really important business decisions that could affect their bottom line based on these values. And that, you know, really resonates. And I think that really does influence when I have a choice between a Walgreens and a CVS. I'll go CVS every time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, you're just you're seeing more and more of that of that shift. And and again, I just I love having this conversation um, and I love debunking those stereotypes around millennials. Um, And we were talking a little bit before we started recording about like what exactly is the millennial generation and some some year some things say that it starts in like 1983 some start i've seen that the millennial generation starts in 1987 i was born in 85 so i like some things say i'm a millennial some things say i don't i don't know that i i don't think i actually necessarily identify as a millennial personally because people always say like oh the millennials are the people that like grew up and they don't know life without technology when I mean, yes, I had a computer as a kid, but like I also used a typewriter for like a good, a good portion of time, <laughs> like like a legit typewriter where you had to like do the backspace thing and try and like use whiteout. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, our first like family cell phone was like one of those cell phones that came in like a huge briefcase. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yep. I mean, it was like a. Like it had like a Velcro opening with like you plugged it into the cigarette lighter and in order for it to work. Or remember the the first computers where you had to have a dial in. You could either be on the phone or or, or on your computer. Oh yeah, and you, you could had not to, like, do both. Kick people off in order to dial in. <laughs> yeah, could not do both. Yeah, I mean, I had a like my current cell phone number was my beeper number. Like I had a beeper. Like that was the thing. Like you had beepers man and like <laughs> yeah so I know it's crazy yeah so I, I you know I, I I have I have experiences with both because I I very much know life without cell phones and without the internet and without um you know computers and I remember like the first computer we got as a family where you know it was just like black and green like the, you know like it was a yep. black screen with like or it was like a greenish yellow like graphics that and graphics is a very loose term like <laughs> you know what I mean and so I, I remember those things but obviously my kids don't know life without that and um, I remember Atari and all those kinds of things so you know I but there again the, there's these stereotypes surrounding the millennial generation like you said about being entitled and being lazy and um, 
the the inter, the millennials that I interview and and the ones that I talk to, they are anything but entitled and lazy. Um, they just I, I wouldn't say that they're entitled and lazy. I would say that they are expectant, um, not entitled, because they 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 expect better um, than. That's a great way of putting it. I I think that's a beautiful way of saying it, because again, we live in an also in an on-demand world right. today. Right. We can watch our food being prepared and get minute-to-minute updates. Right. We can order a cab and know exactly where it is. And yep. as a result, for better or for worse, we have less patience. Right. And we don't. We are not willing to accept uh, the argument, well, that's just the way it is. Right. Or that's the way it's always been done. For sure. And so maybe as a result, we seem entitled. Um, but I, I agree. I think we just expect more from the world around us. And that's, that should be okay. And look, there's always been tension between generations, especially when that generation is coming into the workforce. And I'm sure we will look at some of our, you know, Gen Zers and get frustrated about the fact that they can't look you in the eye and have a face-to-face conversation. Um, but that doesn't mean they're any less brilliant or any less effective or productive. Um, so we just need to, I think, keep an open mind a little bit in that sense. Um, but I, I agree with you. I have met very few millennials who actually live up to the stereotypes that are being touted. For sure. And and honestly, let's be let's be real. Let's look at every generation. Every single generation has entitled and lazy people. I mean our parents yes. generation has entitled and lazy people. The baby boomers have entitled and lazy people. I mean it, yeah, it exists no matter the generation. Um, and so I think that you can't, you know, make a broad generalization of entire of an entire generation based on the actions of a few people. If we no. if we based all all of, you know, the gen whatever gen wise, you know, actions on the behaviors of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West like you know like (laughs) let's be honest there are outliers in each generation we can't we can't make a sweeping sweeping generalization no it's so true and I think it's little things like the fact that our generation on average changes jobs every 2.4 years which of course is shocking to those who have spent their entire career at an IBM or, you know, some other Fortune 500 company and really have associate so much of their personal worth to that role and the fact that they've been there for 30 plus years. Whereas our generation, I think, has this sense of, you know, life is short. We want to get as many experiences as possible. We want to learn as much as possible, move up that chain as quickly as possible. And in that startup environment, these hierarchies are flat. Um, and so they could, you know, they see their peers become CEOs overnight by starting something. And no wonder they are going to start questioning why they have to wait another 15 years to be eligible for a certain executive position, not because, you know, their work doesn't warrant it, but just because that's the ladder they have to climb. Um, and I think that's something that's really healthy, too, to start rethinking those things. Now, it's not to say we do, I think, as a generation, undervalue experience. And I'm sure we're all going to look back in our 40s and 50s and laugh at how much we think we knew in our 20s. Um, but you know, it's a little bit of a, a give and take. And I think it's a, a double edged sword and that we just need to do a better job. And I think this goes in general, and maybe this is a little bit too much of a sweeping statement, but we all just as a society need to do a better job of understanding each other's viewpoint. And before we judge, um, just try and put yourself in their shoes and understand why they're making decisions or comments or why they hold certain opinions um, before judging them based on that. Oh, amen to that. Oh, man. Oh, gosh, I have so many questions I want to ask you. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, we're running out of time. Um, Okay, so I want to ask you one last question. And obviously, for the listeners, as always, I will have all of Alexandra's information, as well as information about purpose generation. Um, And more importantly, really, I think for the listeners, the information about the purpose playbook that we talked a little bit about the beginning, which is sort of that, um, that, you know, online course to really kind of hone in on on your purpose. But so I want to I want to just touch on that briefly. Um, So 
you know, this is a question that a lot of this generation, I think all generations ask themselves. And that is, you know, what is my purpose in life? And this is something I love to talk about. But one of the things that you that you guys talk about is sort of this, um, your purpose triggers. Um, and so I'd love for yep. you to kind of just briefly talk about that and how to identify your purpose triggers. So I think this also came from trying to determine the difference between passions and a purpose. Ooh, and good, yeah. so to us, your purpose triggers are really, and this is how we define it, the events, activities, and environments, and people that make you feel like you are exactly where you need to be. Those moments when you feel like you're high on life, you're doing something that you're meant to be doing, you don't, you can't really explain it, but you just feel like you're in the right place at the right time. That to us is a purpose trigger. And oftentimes those moments happen and we move on. We, you know, you don't really pay attention to it. Um, but what we ask people to do through this course, and we kind of lead them through a series of exercises, um, most of which is, is almost journaling oriented. So it's a lot of questions like, you know, what did you love to do when you were growing up? Um, what do you do when no one's watching? Um, what would you want people to say about you at your 80th birthday? And you write responses to all of these questions. And then you go back and start to identify those purpose triggers. So whether again, they're people or places or activities that you seem to be gravitating towards unbeknownst to you, maybe unconsciously. Um, and the idea is that through this process that we've laid out, you start to design a life that builds in more of those purpose triggers. Um, because again, I think life is, is too short to be following the path that you think you should be following without starting to pay attention to the moments that really do light you up. I mean, we have the opportunity to build our lives around that. And it doesn't mean you have to quit your job, sell all your belongings, travel the world. You could do this. You could make very small little changes just by starting to pay attention to what those purpose triggers are and more consciously building those into your day to day. Um, so that's kind of what, what we're promoting. It's not rocket science. It's not going to require you to completely upend your life. Um, it's just asking the right questions, paying attention, and then consciously incorporating more of those moments into your life. That is incredible. I absolutely love the way you guys really hone in on this and really get people to to be thinking very critically. Um, and look, I didn't even get into the woo-woo stuff. Oh, man. See, there's like <laughs> so many things I want to talk to you about. Um, so that should, I think that just means I need to have you back on the show. I would love to. Uh, I know yeah. we, barely, we barely scratched the surface. I know. We really did barely scratch the surface. So actually, okay. And, you know, it's my show. I do what I want. I want to ask you one more question. So w when, you, when you talk about sort of the, the woo-woo stuff, what have you found – is really like maybe the question or the thought process that, you know, really gets you thinking deeper um, and, and others thinking that maybe it's a question that you pose to somebody um, and they might think of it as woo woo, but you really think that it helps them to kind of identify um, what drives them. And if you want, you can maybe even like ask some of those questions to me. I don't know. I'm really putting you on the spot here. <laughs> you are. No, you really are. But I love it. No, I think. I'm a big question person. So I've, I've literally been creating a list of questions. I'm the person that at a dinner table will silence everyone and go around the room and start having everyone answer these really intimate personal questions. I love it. I love it. That's, I love that. <laughs> um, so honestly, it, this is going to sound far too simple for your beautiful question, but <laughs> why? Mm -hmm. um, the question of why and asking it a few times, I've been starting to try and do that because I think another huge thing that I've realized is the power of intention mm -hmm. and how often we lack intention um, and how we think we know why we're doing something, but really we don't. So for instance, if I would ask you, you know, why did you start this podcast? You'd probably have, you know, what would your immediate response be? My immediate response when people ask that is, 
my initial idea for it was I wanted another or I wanted a better platform to share the stories of brands that are changing the world and educate listeners on how they can change the way they shop. That was really the initial idea for it was because I really wanted to highlight sort of ethical fashion, beauty, and um, accessory brands. And there's okay. the stories behind those companies. That was the original intention. And so then what if I would ask you why, again, to that, to that response? I believe that we can change the world by the way we spend our money. Um, I really, I say this all the time, and I say you vote every single day by the way you spend your money. And I am incredibly passionate about um, supporting brands and companies that are changing the world by the way they do business. And I I love to try to make it a little bit more accessible and approachable to consumers because there's a very there's very much a, almost this barrier to entry for a lot of people into sort of like the, you know, quote unquote ethical fashion and fair trade world because people think it's too expensive, they think it's not trendy, they think it's not uh, fashionable, they think it's too difficult, whatever. There's all these like preconceived notions about it. And so people will then just don't do it. And so I yep. wanted to to kind of break those barriers and show people that um, you actually can uh, just by just by, you know, supporting one brand or changing the way you buy shoes or whatever. I love that. And we could go on and on. And yeah. I could continue to ask you that question. Why? Yeah. And by the end of it, you'd probably have a five word response. And that will be the core of it. Yeah. That will be, you know, really the crux of why you personally, what you personally get out of it too. Because I think we often start the response with things that are, you know, obviously benefiting the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, the more you ask why, the more you make it personal too. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that's been um, a really powerful tool to also, again, throughout your day, ask yourself why you're doing certain things mm-hmm. and ask it again. And you might find um, that you're spending your time and energy in ways that don't actually fill your bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's for a lot of people that shift may happen again much later in life when they finally have enough time when their kids are grown up and out of the house to start paying attention to that. But why not do that now? Yeah. Why not do that today? Um, and one final thing I'll say too is in our mind, your purpose kind of lies at the, the center of this framework that we created that's your passions, your strengths, and your potential to contribute. And I think your response just now illustrated that beautifully. Um, so I think the the strengths, what you're good at, and passions, what you're passionate about, those are two things that are, you know, very quite obvious to people um, and often are associated with this purpose. But your potential to contribute often gets overlooked. And that is so important when trying to distinguish a passion from a purpose. You, it's it's about making an impact because ultimately that's what all of us humans are here to do. Or ideally, that's that's what we want to fulfill. We want to you know create a legacy and and make an impact. And so I think when you are thinking about your purpose, don't just think about what you love or what you happen to be pretty good at, um, yeah. but also consider you know what is the legacy you want to leave. What's the impact you want to make. Oh, I think that is incredible. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. So, Alexandra, I could, again, talk to you about this all day long. Um, So I'm going to have to have you back on the show at some point so we can continue to dive in. Um, But this is the portion of the show where we transition a little bit, and I get to just ask you some fun get-to-know-you questions. Um, This is also the portion of the show, as my listeners know, where my um, amazing executive producer husband inputs a sound effect to transition us to the get to know you portion. Uh, uh, Mayberry unit number one, uh, over and, uh, and Roger. Uh, ro- uh, Roger, uh, uh, out, out and under. Uh, 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 10, 10, 10, 40. Uh, uh, bye. So, Alexandra, are you ready? I think so. I don't think you could ever be ready for these moments. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you're ready. I think you're ready. Uh, All right. The first question is, what cheesy song do you have all the words memorized? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Just about every Disney song. Yes. Probably. Yes. And the sound of music start to finish. I love it. I love it. Um, What things do you do every single day that you wish could be automated? 
Like oh, you, that is such a good question. This is again, this is probably getting way too personal, <laughs> but um, I have Invisalign braces, cleaning uh, those. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. So I, I would say, hey, hey, it's cool. I'll I'll uh, relate to you for a moment. So I don't have braces, but I have um I have really bad TMJ. So I sleep with a mouth guard. It's super thickly. Um, <laughs> and so I sleep with a mouth guard. Yeah. yeah cleaning that is like, so the, you feel me. Yes. <laughs> it's the worst. Gosh, so annoying. That's the first thing that came to mind only because it's probably the morning, but I'm sure there's so many other ones that I could think of yeah. that would, you know, be more valid. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, who would you most like to sit next to on a 10 hour flight and why? Oprah Winfrey, because I am just so fascinated, not only by her, but the conversations that she's had. And again, I I mentioned I love questions and good questions. Um, And so I think I would have so much to learn from her because I think she's one of the most incredible interviewers, too, that's out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And my last question is, for what today are you most grateful? Mm. Uh, everything. I mean, I would say my relationships really that I'm most grateful for. I'm someone we haven't even gotten into the woo woo stuff, but I think for (laughs) me, um, I really am driven and motivated entirely by love. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think the, the amazing relationship I have with my husband to be with my family, who's very far away with my co-founder Nellie. Um, and of course the other friends that now around a wedding, I think this also becomes extra evident. Um, but no, I am incredibly grateful for all of those relationships. I love that answer. I love that answer because life without great relationships is no life at all. So (laughs) very Um, true. Yes. Um, Well, Alexandra, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was such a blast. Um, I love your heart. I love um, but I, I really love your your motivation to to do change in such a unique way or to, you know, produce change in such a unique way. Um, and I just can't wait to continue to see how you grow and how you impact so, so, so many people. Um, just thank you for your time. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And thank you for doing such amazing work and telling these stories to your audience. Thank you. Um, you really are living out your purpose for sure. Alexandra is just an incredible woman, and I love what she has done with Purpose Generation. Again, she saw a problem, she saw a niche, and she decided to fill it. Now, I wanted to let you know that the course mentioned in the show, the Find Your Purpose by Purpose Playbook, is an 11-module course that offers you a roadmap to living a more purposeful, purpose-filled life. So whether you feel stuck or uninspired or simply just struggling to choose where to invest your time and your energy, this course is going to help you identify what matters most and how to build a life around that. So here's how to do this. Head to findyourpurposecourse.com for more information. The course is currently open for pre-enrollment and the course materials will become available on September 10th. Enrollment closes on September 14th. Now, my Business with Purpose listeners get 25% off the course when you enroll with the coupon code MOLLY, M-O-L-L-Y. Do so before September 10th and you can take advantage of that early bird pricing, which is an additional discount, just $59 total. So all of the details for all of this will be in the show notes, but go to findyourpurposecourse.com for more information and use that coupon code MOLLY for 25% off. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Don't forget to go to stillbeingmolly.com slash Causebox and use the coupon code MOLLY for $15 off. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome, friend. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you for your support week in and week out. It means so much to me. Now, be sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Radio Public, or wherever you'd like to listen to shows and make sure you are subscribed. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast or tag me at Still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.